The first reading is from Isaiah, Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reading from Matthew starts at chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, So that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then jesus said to the centurion go it will be done just as you believed it would and his servant was healed at that very hour when jesus came into peter's house he saw peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to, fill, was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. 
Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, do keep that passage uh, open in your Bibles. We're going to be uh, looking through that as we uh, hear what God's Word has to say, say to us today. Uh, and uh, something that you might find helpful uh, in uh, with the outline with the new sheet you got, there should be an outline uh, as well of where we're going today. Uh, I find that helpful in terms of. Uh, knowing where we're going uh, and knowing how things fit together. So hopefully that's helpful for you too. Uh, I'm James Brooks. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, I know there's still some uh, that I haven't uh, met uh, and spoken with, some of you that I haven't spoken with personally. I uh, look forward to doing that. Um, but uh, it's great to have you uh, and to be here with you as we look at God's Word this morning. So I don't know, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are the Lord and we ask that as we uh, come here now uh, to your word that we would sit under it, hear it humbly uh, and be changed by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week we heard uh, about someone with quite a powerful voice, didn't we? Uh, we saw uh, up on the screen here the inauguration speech uh, of Donald Trump, the US president. It seems uh, we can't get enough of him. He just keeps coming up, doesn't he? Uh, he, had, he was there with a, a new power, a new authority given to him. And he declared his plans for his presidency, uh, how he would use his power. What would he do with it? Well, he would use it, as he said, to serve the American people. Power back to the people. For us uh, standing over here in Australia... Uh, maybe you, like me, might find it hard not to be a little cynical uh, when you hear some of his phrases, some of his rhetoric. That American accent can sometimes bring an air of falsehood. I have the, the kind of salesperson uh, with offering me a free set of steak knives in the back of my head as I listen to him and uh, makes me ask, what is, what is he trying to hide? What is he trying to make up for? How will the American people respond to Trump? But it's not just kind of how they might respond to Trump. As we think about that, um, it brings up the issue of how we respond to any authority. How are we going to respond to the new Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian? How do we respond to anyone in power when they speak words, words of promise? Often those words can seem so wonderful, so honourable in their speeches that they give, but are they actually going to follow through with them? That's the real, that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Are they actually going to use their power the way that they say they will? They have power, but just who will they use it to serve? And how we respond to them is often bound up with that, bound up with whether we trust them. That shapes whether we defy them, whether we ignore them and get on with our own thing, or whether we will actually follow the one in power. Now this week, as we come uh, back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, uh, we are here at the beginning of chapter 8, and we're entering the narrative just after some other powerful words have been spoken. Uh, for, you see, for the last three chapters, uh, Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God. His public ministry began uh, by bringing that up. Back in chapter 4, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Now, throughout Matthew's Gospel, this phrase, Kingdom of Heaven, uh, comes up again and again. In, in Mark's Gospel, you see it as Kingdom of God. They're, they're really synonymous, they're talking about God's rule, God's presence, God coming to bring His rule and authority. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explores and, and fleshes out what this Kingdom of God is, what it means. What is the Kingdom of God? What does it mean to be in the Kingdom of God, to live as part of it? Now, the crowds there see something. You see, they see that these words weren't just anyone speaking about the Kingdom of God. They're amazed. Look with me at chapter 7, just there, the last bit of chapter 7, verse 28. The crowds were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one who had authority, not as the others that they'd heard. One of the phrases that comes up again and again is this, you have heard that it was said, Jesus says, in the law of Moses, but now I tell you this. That's the refrain that comes again and again through the Sermon on the Mount. Hear this, Jesus says, one greater than Moses is he. Moses was just a servant in God's house. But this one, he's the son, he's the heir, he's God's king. Jesus spoke with power and authority. His authority came through in his teaching, but the next question for those who are listening really is, how will he use his authority in action? He's talked the talk, but will he walk the walk? Well, there's three small sections uh, in this part of Matthew that we're looking at today. Uh, the first there from 1 to 4, then from 5 to, to 13, and then the last section from 14 to 17. And in each of these, Matthew is directing us to answer just that question. How will Jesus use his power? And so let's look at them uh, in a little, bit more, a little bit more closely, and then we'll see how this comes to bear on us. First then, the leprous man. Look with me at Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 2. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just come with me, picture this for a moment. There's hundreds of people around and this man with a, with a skin disease comes and kneels before Jesus asking to be healed. For us who may be quite familiar with the Gospels, this kind of seems relatively straightforward. But notice his request here. Notice what he actually says. He says, you can make me clean. Now let's go back for a minute into that world, into first century Judaism. The man with the leprous skin disease wasn't coming to Jesus because there weren't baths around and he, he was dirty and he needed to have a bath. The idea of cleanness that he's referring to here comes from God, comes from the law that God gave his people in the Old Testament. These laws were, laws were about living as God's people. How to live with a holy God dwelling in your midst. 
At first, while they were in the wilderness and moving around, it was in a tent. And then later on, in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, according to these laws, there were certain things in life that were clean to the Israelites. Certain foods they were allowed to eat. Certain activities that were clean. And certain other things were designated as unclean. And these unclean things caused people to be designated also unclean and the objects that they touched as unclean. This physical contact was a key factor in how uncleanness was communicated. Now, when we look at these laws, what was clean and unclean, in many cases, those that were regarded as unclean seemed to be so because of their connection with death, with sin, with blood, with kind of the disordered nature of our broken world. However, there are others there that it's harder to see that connection and maybe seem a little bit more arbitrary. But the implication is the same when it comes to thinking about what being unclean meant. It meant being not allowed to come near to the presence of God. It meant being isolated. Isolated until whatever had caused the uncleanness was gone and then you had gone through a a, a cleansing ritual so that you could come back in. A skin disease like leprosy was one such thing. Let me read a few verses just from the law, from Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, as a picture of what it meant for those who had a serious skin disease. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45, those who suffer from a serious skin disease are to have their clothes torn, their hair hanging loose and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean and dwell outside the camp. So come back with me now to this scene in the Gospels at the bottom of the mountain. Everyone there would know that This man, this man with unkempt hair and torn clothes was the the untouchable. You touched him and you became unclean. The, The MO here was keep your distance. You can imagine the the wide berth that the crowds around Jesus would have given him. But all of this makes Jesus' next action all the more striking. There, as the man with leprosy knelt before him, verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. (gasps) Those gasps in the crowd, a hushed silence as the crowd take in what's happening. Whispers, he touched him, did he touch him, did he touch the unclean? But Jesus' words that follow break that silence, break those whispers and break the grip that this uncleanness has had over this man's life. I am willing, he said, Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. 
Jesus didn't have to reach out, did he? He didn't have to touch the man there. Surely he could have just healed with the word, said the word, as kind of the next little episode shows us. But Jesus did this on purpose. He wanted his power to be seen, his compassion to be seen. He wasn't merely just a healer, a miracle man, a medicine shaman, but he was the source of wholeness, the one who drives out the brokenness of sin in the world. Uncleanness had no place with him and he drives it out with the touch of his hand, precisely the way that no one else would have done. Jesus meets this man where he is, oppressed and suffering, isolated and in bondage, and he releases him to draw near again to God. What great power! But even more remarkable in this little episode is that Jesus uses his power to serve. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus, who spoke with such power and authority, who shows that he has the power of God, uses it to serve by laying his hand on the untouchable one. In the next section, verse 5 onwards, Jesus meets a powerful outsider. He's a Roman army commander, a centurion, someone who is under the authority of the emperor and acts on that authority with his own words. He comes asking Jesus for help, verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed and in terrible suffering. Now, kind of notice the centurion here doesn't actually make an explicit request. He kind of just says what he says. And so we see in Jesus' reply here, him teasing out the centurion a little more. What is it that you're actually after, is the sense of these words. The emphasis is missed a little in the English. It's more like, I? Shall I go and heal him? I, uh, a Jew. You see, it was common for Jews not to enter the houses of those who weren't Jews, of the Gentiles. They wanted to avoid what was unclean. That was the common conception. Still, we know from verses 1 to 4 that, well, in terms of uncleanness and Jesus becoming unclean, he doesn't have to worry about that. He's the one who drives out uncleanness. But the centurion's response is what is surprising. The centurion's response is, in God's sovereignty, I think, what he was looking for, what he was fishing for. Let's read it. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. This is... It's something that we might be familiar with, uh, something that we might have heard before having read the Gospel and and so it kind of leaves us thinking it's pretty unremarkable. But if we stop for a moment to notice verse 10 we might be helped to see how significant this really is. Verse 10, 
When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Astonished. Jesus, astonished. It just seems to not compute a little bit. He's been astonished before, actually. Uh, In Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus astonished at the deep-rooted unbelief of those in his hometown of Nazareth as he was there and spoke to them, yet they rejected him. But here, it's the other way around. Jesus is astonished at this man's profound faith and understanding. Now, you think astonishment is just a bit out of place for God, kind of unexpected events that you didn't know about. But I think this little episode for us just highlights how fully Jesus had taken on our humanity. He had taken on our emotions as well. What is it that's so astonishing, so remarkable that Jesus sees in the centurion's response? There is the fact that he believed that Jesus could heal from a distance. Surely that's a pretty remarkable and miraculous thing. But deeper than that, the thing that Jesus picks up on is the degree to which this Roman outsider had penetrated in his understanding of Jesus' authority, of who Jesus was. You see, this this Gentile, this outsider, without any of the light that the Old Testament shined on Jesus, had recognised with quite a deep understanding just who Jesus was, just how powerful he was, just how his authority worked. Just say the word and it will happen. Now, the thrust... That's the thrust of Jesus' declaration here in in response to what the centurion says, verses 10 to 12. Notice who he speaks to there, though. He was astonished and he said, not the centurion, but to those following around him. These words, he says, are first to the Jews and they bring a solemn warning. God's kingdom will grow. There will be people from the east and the west, from the nations around. They will come. Where will they come? They will come to the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Who are they again? They're the forefathers of the nation of Israel. Israel are those descended from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. These, those from east and west are coming in, yet the subjects of the kingdom, the ones who should know the physical descendants of Abraham will be thrown out. The centurion's faith here, the depth of his understanding, that's to be commended. It anticipates the end of the gospel, with Jesus' words down in Matthew 28 that we saw last week. But at this point, Jesus draws this, draws the focus to how strong an indictment of Israel It is. Those who have every reason to trust and know Jesus deeply, to follow him with everything, are all the more indicted in their failure to do so. It's a solemn warning indeed to the children of Israel. But in a sense, it's 
there's a solemn warning to those of us who have heard as well. Coming back to the main line of the narrative here in verse 13, Jesus turns to the centurion and he gives the word which the centurion has asked for, that authoritative word which does not fail in its effect. Verse 13, and the centurion's servant was healed that very hour. Jesus, as God's king here, speaks and acts with the very power of God and he uses it to serve. Jesus has power to serve. In the, in the third section here, a little bit more quickly, verses 14 to 17, the things in fact happen so quickly you could miss them if you blinked. In a moment where Peter's mother-in-law is lying ill with a fever, she's instantaneously healed and effectively healed at Jesus' touch. His power accomplishes what he wills without delay. But let us follow Matthew's line of sight at this point. He kind of draws the threads together of these episodes in verses 16 to 17. And what he really wants us to see is this. In Jesus, he wants us to see the servant of Isaiah. Those verses that we read a little earlier. This is the chosen one of God, the one in whom God delights, the one who uses his power to serve. You see, Jesus' healing of the, of the sick and the oppressed here, these are part of the bigger plan, the, the fuller restoration, the bigger wholeness, if you like, that the servant of God brings for God's people. Not only did he take our, iniqui- our sin, our sickness, but he bore the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Jesus, God's God's Spirit-anointed King, speaks and acts with the very power of God and continually, again and again, He uses it to serve. This one has power to serve. And so as we see these, these episodes before us, they leave us with a decision to make. A decision to make because of just who Jesus is. How will you receive this one who has such power and authority? It's not just a decision that's kind of a once-off thing, but it's an ongoing resolution, isn't it? That we make day after day as we wake up in the morning. How will you continue to receive this one with such power and authority? Knowing that he uses it, to serve. There's a few different responses. You can reject his authority outright. That's a real response that some will make. But can I say that if you're sitting here in that place today, can I urge you to consider this further? Consider who Jesus is. You see, he has great power and unlike so many others, he uses it to serve. However, if we continue to reject this one who serves, his service, his kindness, then we must know that one day we're going to face something other than his kindness. Judgment without mercy. Another response, you could kind of try and keep to yourself, that's kind of the Australian way, isn't it? I don't bother him, he's not going to bother me, we'll just coexist peacefully. 
But unfortunately, it so happens that we live in His world, don't we? Not only do we live in His world, we live with the bodies that He has given us. Indeed, with the life that He has given us. And so, if you were Him, would you let you, an evasive squatter, camp in your backyard? And the other response that we can have to Him is to receive Him, isn't it? To submit to His power and authority, to enjoy His service and kindness. When it comes to thinking about authorities, this choice of ours isn't exclusive to Jesus' authority. It's a choice that we make with all other kinds of authorities too. On on the roads, you need to decide whether you're going to accept the authority of the RMS and the police or not. With your tax, you know, there's the ATO. When you're doing uh, some modifications to the home, there's the council and and the state government. There's the boss at work. Though maybe with all of these authorities, the more precise issue we face is this, it's to what degree will I submit to their authority? How far will I go to comply? How much will I slow down? What percentage will I declare? It's easy to justify ourselves, isn't it, by saying, you know, we're doing the right thing most of the time, but unfortunately for us, the penetrating truth is this, it's what you do when you disagree with an authority that shows who's really in charge in your life. Does that make sense? It's what you do when you disagree with an authority that shows who's really in charge in your life. All the other times, it just so happens that what they want you to do lines up with what you want to do and so everyone's happy. And so whether, or not, whether we realise it or not, a kind of partial obedience... A partial submission hides our rejection, hides the fact that, well, we're still really the ones who are the boss and we commend ourselves. As we saw last week, Jesus has all power and authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. He sits above all of those authorities and He doesn't just have authority in one particular area of life or over some particular people in the world, but over every area of life. Over every life. It's easy to get sucked into that lie that we keep hearing in our world, that submitting to another kind of diminishes our own freedom, it denigrates our dignity. It's far better to be free, the world says, to be free and face the consequences than to submit to another. But it's a lie, isn't it? It's a deceitful, attractive lie. Because here again, again and again, we meet the one who has all power, all authority, and he uses it as it's designed to be used, as He designed it to be used, to serve, to lay down His life for many. What a brilliant God we have. What a brilliant God we have. He's not just the boss, He is the best boss. 
you know, kind of knowing that Jesus has all power and authority at one level, that kind of makes it, makes it a bit of a no-brainer. Well, of course I've got to follow him, you know, he's the one in charge. But, as we see here, knowing that Jesus uses this power to serve makes receiving him not just a duty, but a joy and a delight. And so let's take up that delight as we follow him this week. Take it up afresh. Take it up in your home. Take it up at work. Take it up with one another. The joy and delight of living with Jesus as our boss, who has power to serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you really are a wonderful and amazing God. A God who is powerful, powerful over all things. Powerful such that you sustain every breath that we have. And if your hand were not at work, our our bodies would just literally fall apart. The particles that make us up just wouldn't hold together. This is you with all power and authority. Yet you use it to serve. You use it in your grace. Father, please keep this before us this week. Give us a fresh delight at living with you as our Lord, submitting to you, following you. And Lord, let us let that delight shine out of us for your glory. Amen.